we're coming back from sunny sunny spain are you pleased to be back are you pleased to be back no oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, summer's gone i'd like to say it's nice <laughs> to see you again <laughs> thank you very much oh we do have something to look forward to though 10th of september yeah, not yeah. far away. 10th of September is not now far away. It did seem a long, long way away, uh, the start of the balmy summer. Yes. But um, 10th of September is our meet-up in Brighton. I think the way we need to um, give people the firm details mm-hmm. is... Through the Facebook group. The Facebook group, yeah. and I will put something on the website as well for right, people okay. who don't do Facebook. I need to speak to a fish and chip restaurant because we're going to go and do a podcast then. You can't just rock up with a whole load of microphones and say, what are you doing? So far, I've heard from about 15 people. Roughly, but the fifteen uh, won't turn up. No, but well, they did. We'd be in trouble. Maybe more though. Wow. Well, in a fish and chip shop. Well, hopefully, I don't. I'd like it to be as many as people as possible. But who knows? It's it's a photo walk. I mean, you're not going to learn a lot. It's a photo walk. No, no, no. It's not about. So don't, uh, yeah, don't, it's don't, fun. Don't, it's 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 going to be. It's don't go be thinking this is an educational thing. This is a jolly. Yeah, it's a jolly, and although... Um, I mean, we'll talk about stuff. Yeah, of course, and I will answer any questions, like, if you have any about Fujifilm Camp, as Neil will, of course, but it's, it's yeah, absolutely, it's a case of meeting, we'll go for a walk around the lanes and... Um, the pier. The pier and... and the fish uh, chip shop. Up around the um, p- <laughs> pavilion and all that kind of stuff, and yeah. just have a little wander, and, uh, yeah, and then just have a little bit of fun, enjoyment. Yeah. A photo event. Yeah. Maybe maybe everybody should take one pivotal picture from the day. So so we do tie it loosely into photography. Yeah. One pivotal a, moment. Or we could do a um, portrait shoot-off or something on the beach. Right. We've got to book in a hotel as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, obviously not the marital suite for us both. The Fuji cast. That's not necessary. Not again. <laughs> okay. Um, this week, thank you to our friends at Simpler Straps, who are still with us, for letting us give away a simpler camera strap each to our favourite email questions of the week. Great thing about Simpler. Max function, minimal bulk. Not like Kev after all that cerveza. Oh. <laughs> max bulk, minimal functionality. That's me. Yeah. Quick adjusting. Were you quick adjusting? No, probably not. No. Non-metal hardware that won't scratch your camera and glass. Go to simpler.us, S-I-M-P-L-R.us, and Kev's just talking about his beer glass, probably. Uh. If you'd like to see what these things look like, there's your questions, too, about anything Fujifilm or photography-related. As always, it doesn't have to be about weddings. It doesn't have to be about Fuji cameras. Click at fujicast.co.uk. Right. Um, question. Shall I? Shall I launch? Or? Yeah, I've got to do your press into your paperless. Save the trees. Save the trees. Still saying it. Save the trees. Um, right here we go. Uh, Michael Gerard. Thank you for your excellent podcast, guys. My question is perhaps rather dull. There's no such thing as a dull question, but I'm interested in how you form contracts with your clients for photojournalist wedding photography, or it could be any kind of photography, actually. Mm. What are the crucial elements that must be in there? What advice would you give to a new business owner? Sorry if the question's a bit bland. It's not bland, Michael. Um, But I'm trying to go into the business properly, which I applaud you for, and I'm sure Kev would too, with all the background issues. And we certainly will applaud you for thinking about tax and insurance and contracts, because that's what makes you a professional. What do you think, Kev? Yeah, I kind of agree. I do agree. I definitely think you need contracts, and I think you need... Uh, what are yeah. the elements of your contract? My contract, effectively, effectively, it says, um, 
I retain copyright. You can use the pictures, but you mustn't sell them or enter them into competitions. You should feed me. Uh, It also says that uh, the cancellation notification periods. Do you mind sharing what that period is? Or is uh, that private? No. So if they cancel... 90 de- anywhere between 90 and ze- and 60 days before the wedding mm-hmm. they have to pay no sorry anything after 2 weeks and n- up to 90 days before the wedding they have to pay a uh, a half of the wedding fee right 90 days to 60 days is 3 quarters 60 days is 100% right okay um and the 14 day period is we talked about this prior to Spain of course but did, have you ever had to exercise no. that no okay the four, I've had cancellations I've kept deposits right. but but yeah never luckily nobody's got that close okay and again I would do it on on ethics which we did talk about yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so contract's important the other thing in the contract is that that lovely clause that um, uh, Joe Bursink shared with us all those years ago which essentially seems very legal but it ultimately oh, it says yeah you cannot not like the pictures. <laughs> now, how did he word that? Because I don't use that clause. It's, I did, but you've got that. It's based on uh, you You cannot... You've employed me for the style that you see that I shoot. You cannot reject the images based on aesthetic alone. Right. That's ultimately what it says. Right, okay. Um, now, again, luckily, touch wood, and hopefully that's you know never really come into, the, into yeah. play, but uh, there you go. I think that's more important, certainly, for <clears throat> candid-style photographers because there's no um, there's no direction involved. But um, What about release forms? No. Uh, in fact, I've got a good release form. I'm going to go, but um, you're going to have to keep talking while I go because it's in the room behind you, okay. so bear with me. So I don't, I don't have um, release forms. I, I, in my contract, I do have a little bit on, under GDPR, which essentially says that the bride and groom are responsible for telling the clients, uh, sorry, telling the guests that they are, uh, they will be photographed and those photographs may well be used on my website and in my marketing and in the marketing of anybody I am associated with, such as Fujifilm and any ambassadorial roles. Uh, so I'm passing that re- that that responsibility onto the client. Um, I am not, uh, you know, I don't believe that uh, if we were if we had to get the uh, permission of every single person we photographed at a wedding, mm-hmm. I, I just, you know, what I, I would just give up. I would stop doing it. Yeah. I would go and do something else. That would be one level of bureaucracy too I, far. I was, funny enough, with the release forms, I wasn't thinking about that because mm. the GDPR thing started to worry me immeasurably mm. with, with that. But I was thinking more about when you're doing uh, commercial shoots. Right. I mean, this is a release form that was used on um, one of the films I've just been making in Africa. Mm. Um I, I didn't realise this actually came from, from one of the producers, so the, the, the legality to this was quite interesting. In, number one, in consideration of the sum of £1 to be paid by the company to me, the receipt of which I acknowledge, I warrant, confirm and agree that, with the company that the company shall have the right to exploit any films, photographs and sound recordings made by the company for the film in which I feature on any... Blah, 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 blah. It was going on, but the, in, in essence, um, you have to pay a pound to this person. Yes, because in British law, you have in contractual law, you have there has to be a numerical, a monetary so transaction. That's, that's the pound. So we always pay a pound. That's right. That's why. <laughs> that's why. Some isn't it? Didn't uh, who did Amazon bought some massive company for a pound? Yeah. Basically, they're buying their debt. In fact, an F one team was sold for a pound, wasn't it? Yeah, because uh, they have to buy. They're, like they're inheriting their debt, but yeah. it, they still have to pay a sum. 
Yeah. So uh, the second part is I unconditionally grant you to all consents required pursuant to the copyright. Third was uh, irrevocably and unconditionally waive all rights I may have in respect of the film that could be photographs. Four, I consent to the use by the company of my name, likeness, voice and biography. Five, the company may assign or license this agreement to any third party. Um, that's the one actually that can cause trouble. Mm. And six, this letter shall be governed and construed in accordance with the law uh, of England and Wales are subject to the jurisdiction of the English courts. Now, of course, that's going to be different for different countries. Yeah, and that's yeah. That, that all goes back to what it says on our, our money. Said, I promise yeah. to, bear, to pay the bearer the sum of £5 or yeah. £1 or yeah. whatever. Good question. Thank you, Michael. Um, and actually, uh, do you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to, I'm going to go really early for once and I'm going to send you the strap for that question. Um, so, Michael, the strap is yours because I think it's an interesting and very important one. And to be honest, straight off the um, off the bat, I like the fact that you're you know you're talking about issues like tax, insurance, and contracts. And it's not dull. I think it's important. And if more people took notice of that, I think the industry would be uh, in a, in, a, Absolutely. in a very different place. Totally so, agree. So thank you very totally much for that agree. question. And it's worthy of a strap. I Coming still know you. people who shoot without insurance, and I, I, Just, I think that's yeah. disgusting. Yeah, me too. Okay, so I've got a, a question Me too, from, as in I don't sh- uh, I, I yes, shoot with insurance. Me I get too, it. I'm I get disgusted. It. I get it. Don't worry. I'd it's underline right. that. It's all right. I know I've been to Spain for a month, and I'm, I'm, I'm a bit jaded from all of that. But I do get it. Okay, uh, in, in Spain, I mean, you always you just sit out there, don't you, and roast? Yeah, I mean, you are you are effectively. And let me just run. I make this. friends with the lizards. Yeah, but I mean, those pictures of you, as always, you're just you're there. I mean, you just do you, you, you do you have silver foil around you to get that that tan you get? I mean, you are effectively. Hang on a minute. Let's put a little Geiger counter around him here. Is <laughs> um, Kev is effectively off the scale? Look, look at that. That is going mad. Look. Oh, I would. You are radioactive. Oh, I am. Yeah. Uh, I um. Oh, I love it. I love it. I, uh, I just like. I just like. You know. And the thing is, now the kids are a little bit older, mm. and so um, which means that they're more self uh, looking after themselves a bit better. Yeah. So we, you know, we still spend a lot of time with the kids. It's terrible parenting it's, coming up here. We we just get drunk and leave them to do what they no, do. No, I know. It's just Go sound, play with the lizards, kids. It, it does sound a little bit like that, but but you know, in the certainly in the old days when they were really young. Uh, you know, we we the only time we could really relax was when they were having their naps or yeah. or in bed and stuff. Now, of course, they never want to go to bed at night, so they stay up pretty much till we go to bed. Yeah, um, which is fine. That's that's, that's what holidays are for, yeah, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, okay, so this is from Jay Cubit, and again, this is an older one. This is well, we got this back in May sometime. Uh, hey guys, my name is Jay Cubit from Vancouver Island, Canada. Such pleasure pleasure listening to both of you, um, <laughs> Kevin. You've you got are, to read this next bit. <laughs> I've do just, a blah blah blah. I've, on I've this. only just put my eyes on this. So, <laughs> Kevin, you are my Jeff Ascroft. Oh, look! <laughs> oh, uh, such a big influence on me. I can't, I can't thank you enough. Also, loving the podcast. Uh, blah blah blah. I actually, clean, <laughs> I actually clean toilets at night to support the family while trying to get started in documentary wedding photography. And Good I l- listen to all your episodes multiple, uh, multiple times while working. Mm. It really helps me to remind me of why I'm chasing this. I'm 41 years old and left a great play, uh, pay and sales job to follow this dream. So if it doesn't work out, it's <laughs> Kevin's fault. It's all your fault. Yeah. <laughs> Um, two questions, right? Uh, first, uh, okay. So first, is there an address I could send a small patch to put on a camera strap or camera bag to have it signed by the two of you? Uh, oh, I guess we can nice. make contact with you separately on that. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I hope that's not too weird. Um, but that would be an incredible thing. Ha ha. 
um yeah of course uh so second i switched to i just switched to fuji xt3 from canon when using spot medium i'm having some trouble after i lock my exposure to take a shot it appears that i cannot keep the same exposure locked in once the shot is taken and have to re-expose if i want that specific exposure again am i doing something wrong or is it just the way that i do it thank you so much um okay so thanks for your email jay and no you're not doing anything wrong so if you're if you're shooting the same way as while I you're do, answering this question i'm going to send jay a, a, an email okay so um the, the way that i tend to do things and the way that you may have picked up from my youtube etc is uh using a back button focus technique so in the fujifilm world you, you stick the camera in manual focus your afl button on the back becomes your focus lock and that's that depends on how you configure the camera but that can separate your um exposure lock from the autofocus lock which is the way that i like to do things and you can half depress the shutter button which will lock in the exposure then you can recompose and take your picture but of course as soon as you take the picture the camera will make another exposure will will look for another exposure um now this only affects you if you are in any of the automatic modes so you might be shooting aperture priority or fully automatic or um um, speed priority um, so there's a couple of things you can do with the X-T3 especially you can use the AEL button on the back of the camera that will once you press that that will lock the exposure so it won't reset it um, alternatively you can um, dial those in manually so once the if you're on a very bright sunny day and you're just you're exposing for the highlights and there's shadows around um, once the camera gives you the exposure, just dial those three values in manually and, and the expo- the metering system is no longer relevant. Um, so those two things. So you're not doing anything wrong. You're just doing it um, the way that I do it, which actually once you do it that way is very quick. Um, I typically back button focus, uh, expose, and then I'll just point my camera roughly at the area that I want the exposure from, half depress, recompose, and then do it again. And it's, it's very quick. So way. there you go. Good. Thanks, Jay. Uh, Nigel Baton. Hey, guys. Um, absolutely loving the podcast. Wish it was more than once a week, though. Oh, I think we'd go mad. I think you'd go mad. <laughs> I have a question about other people using your photos on their accounts. I recently posted a photo of a shot I took at uh, our city, and uh, one of the city pages saw it, used it on their account, and credited me as the photographer. Now, that's all good as far as I'm concerned, but... They did alter the composition of the shot and in doing so changed how I originally had the shot in my head before I took it. Uh, What would you guys do in a situation like this? Is it really worth asking them to post it as I originally intended or am I overthinking this? Should I just be happy that somebody else likes it enough to use on their page? Cheers, guys. Nige. Well, look, I think it all. some of this could depend on whether you want to build a healthy relationship with them as a as a publisher. Mm. And if you want to build a relationship with them, probably going in gung-ho and saying, look, this is not the way I planned for it. Please, you know, cease and desist or whatever. Take it down and you'll never hear from each other again. You certainly won't be sending each other Christmas cards. Mm. Or you could maybe contact them and say, I'm so, you know, chuffed to bits that you used it. Really, really pleased. And I have more like this and X and Y and Z. Um, but, you know, for the moment, any chance you could, you know, maybe use this as the image the way I saw it mm-hmm. um, and, and start to form some communication with them and work a little bit more with, with them. That That's what I would suggest. Um, there are those, of course, that would say, how dare you send them a, send them any, send them a, a legal um, mail straight away. Now, I'm, maybe I'm too softy-softy on that, but that, that was my... Yeah, I, I kind of have that same opinion. It's building too. relationships that way. Yeah, I think we can get 
we can we can get a little bit over pressure sometimes and you know you've got to think about it from the business angle as well sometimes yeah Okay. So I have one here from, uh, it says... Uh, We're getting through these really quick. Do you remember just before just before summer, I think we got two questions yeah. in one half once. I know, We're yeah. Chantering yeah, away yeah. about other stuff. Uh, We're going to get back into it, aren't we? Miguel Vaz, uh, a.k.a. the Quick Brain Fox, spelled oh. P-H-O-X. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, so this is the Quick Brain Fox. Hi, Neil. Hi, Kevin. Um, Miguel. My name is Miguel Vaz from Portugal. Oh, I'm doing. I'm going to Portugal to speak at the Inspiration Inspirational Photographers oh, yeah. Conference. In oh, that's amazing! October, I think. Yeah, three Brilliant. days in October. Fantastic. Three days uh, in Portugal. Yeah, four days. In, actually, four days there. Three days of, work, oh, of wow. talks. Yeah. That's a brilliant um, Yeah. Yeah. So maybe I'll see you there, Miguel. Uh, my name is Miguel Valls from Portugal. I'm starting my own wedding photography business uh, with much focus on documentary street style, just like yours, which I absolutely love. My Instagram account is at the Quick Brain Fox. Uh, there we go. If guys care to check it out, of course. I love the podcast. The amount of uh, complicity among you two is just perfect. Complicity. Uh, really spot on. Okay. Uh, I, I don't want this self-indulgent moment to last forever, otherwise Kevin will just read yada, 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 <laughs> so straight to my question. Uh, and I never did in that one. <laughs> no. I recently brought the, uh, bought the Viltrox 85mm f1.8, which is the first third-party lens uh, with autofocus made specifically for feature film cameras. Wondering if you guys have tried it. I like the results that it provides, but I feel that AF could be a bit more snappy. like to know what you guys think of it. If you've tried it, keep up the good work, guys. Uh, good work, guys. Always a pleasure to listen. Always eager for the next episode. Mm. The Quick Brown Fox. I'm trying to look for Quick Brown, brown Fox at the moment. I'm not finding it. The Quick Brown Fox. The. P-H-O-X. But is, is, is that got... P-H-O-X. Oh, yeah, right. The Quick Brown Fox. So, um, I don't have that... Viltrox 85mm 1.8 however I nearly had it and um, this is a quite a I wonder when was this came recently didn't it so I wonder this this is a very strange little conversation I'm going to have and it's mostly going to be in my own little head Um, we're in there with you so Viltrox were going to send me an 85mm 1.8 which I was going to look at and they sent it and they sent me the track in and then about three weeks later they said have you got it and I said no and I checked the track in, and I followed the track in from China, and it'd gone to Portugal. Right, you can go and pick it up. Well, I wonder if it, <laughs> I wonder if it ended up at the Quick Brain Fox's house. <laughs> yes, that's it. I wonder. Um, ah. So, uh, so no is the answer. This I is haven't. really weird. There's lots of the Quick Brown Foxes, but they, there's the Quick Brown Fox UK. Is this something the Quick Brown Fox? No, okay. the quick brown fox. Mm. Um, and so I haven't got it, but um, I, yeah, I'm interested in looking at these different, especially with the autofocus now, mm. because mostly the third party lenses are manual focus only. And that's fine, you know, if you're, uh, if you're, if you're kind of doing portraits or something, or, you know, but if you're, if you're doing reportage or, you know, whatever, you, you probably want to get your, autofocus in check um, or you're going to end up doing a lot of zone focusing which you wouldn't comfortably be doing on an 85mm lens so um, I don't know is the answer um, Miguel but I I feel that the autofocus mechanism in third party lenses won't be anywhere near as fast as the Fujifilm lenses because they, they won't have all of the access to the same Technology and computerized bits and pieces inside the camera that you know they would have had to make a best guess at the at the um, circuitry. Mm. So uh, yeah, I, I think that's probably normal. But but I'll be interested. It's interesting to see how these lenses are 
are kind of moving forward now. They're going from manual focus to autofocus. Somebody somewhere has cracked the autofocus algorithm for Fujifilm cameras, it I seems. Know it. Right. Um, this is a look at this top segue coming up. Uh, last question before the interview. Um, Michael Fox, from the quick brown fox to Michael Fox. Hi, Neil and Kev. Kev, Kev, Kev. I've gone into I've gone into Australian. Mm-hmm. Uh, really love the podcast. Not only the uh, is it highly entertaining, but very inspiring and full of great insight. I have a question on how you manage your work life balance as a wedding photographer. I feel this was touched on in the other half series. Now, if you haven't heard this yet, um, it's a couple of months ago now. Mm. Um, Kev, you interviewed Sam, my mm-hmm. other half, and I interviewed Gemma, your other half. Um, but it'd be great to hear from you guys how you balance your work and personal time. So I suppose from our as- aspect as opposed to theirs. Mm. I'm currently full-time employed as a photographer for a company in Leeds, which requires me to work away from home the majority of the week. And I, so I really only have weekends at home and I'm considering going into the wedding business. Hopefully not at the same time. You'll never be at home. Mm. I found the other half series really interesting, but, but I'm almost in the opposite situation in that my other half is encouraging me to get into wedding photography. Weddings never used to be something that I was interested in until I came across your work, Kev, in a magazine, uh, which made me realise that it's possible to shoot weddings in a way that matched my own personality. <laughs> Isn't that funny? Style That's exactly what happened with me and Jeff Asker. I know, look, it's history repeating itself. <laughs> I understand that being a wedding photographer will still be very much hard work and we'll, we'll lose most weekends, but wanted to get a sense from you guys on how much free time you get or allow yourself around the shooting, editing, admin and other business-related work. Right, Michael, thank you very much. Um, well, just before you, you went on holes... You had eight weddings to to edit. Yeah. So when we talk about work life balance, yeah, it's um, actually you know what we were we, we sat down Neil and I sat down just before we did um, have our summer uh, break and and talked a little bit about this and mm. it does seem like we are you know we're working harder I think mm. and perhaps not necessarily earning uh, the same rewards. No. Um, for the effort put in so um, yeah work life balance is a huge thing and it's ultimately the origi- the reason why I became a photographer was for a better work life balance was it the reason you became a wedding photographer yeah I right. suppose okay. um, and and I still think that is the case I definitely think that you know I'm sat here it's uh, it's you know it's early September it's it's midweek I'm not sat in an office in London with a tie on I haven't been on the tube for three hours mm. so it's uh, I, it's absolutely a, a good work-life balance I've just spent and I know I keep mentioning it but I've just spent <laughs> you know a best part of a well over a month on a holiday with the kids and everything so uh, yeah uh, um, although you know people do often say to me isn't August the busiest time for wedding <laughs> photographers? <laughs> Not for you. Yeah, I'm like, yeah. Um, so, uh, yes, absolutely. But you do need to keep it in check. That's mm. the thing. Because it's very easy to um, uh, to just, you know, roll with the work and roll with the editing. And, you know, oh, I've just got to get this wedding edited. So I'm just going to stay up tonight, darling. And, you know, I, I yeah. end up watching a few films while yeah, you're editing. Yeah, and, yeah. and then you, before you know it, it's two o'clock and you're doing that regularly. And especially if you've got a day job as well. And, and, you know, we've all been there. We've absolutely all been there but you do need to keep an eye on it yourself because nobody else will um and don't don't just chase chase the dollar i uh, neil and i both know photographers who ultimately don't charge enough but but seem you know so reticent to say no to work to the point where they are because they're cheaper they're shooting four weddings in a row three weddings the next weekend uh and you know and and i've seen i've seen people in the short time I've been a wedding photographer, which is uh, nearly 12 years, I've seen people who 
were single when I first met them, met people, met somebody, and this is both men and women. So mm -hmm. met a partner, get married, mm -hmm. have kids, mm -hmm. and are now divorced in that time. And no, I'm not, not not because of wedding photography. I, I, yeah, absolutely really? because of their job because they're just not they, around. They're not around. Yeah. yeah, and I've seen it. I've I've actually seen it. I've seen <sighs> photographers that happened to them. Mm. I've seen their entire life cycle that what should take a you know a whole life has has happened in in a space of a couple of years because and it's usually the guys you know it's usually the guys that cannot take their eye off the dollar and forget about the family yeah and if you forget about the family there's no point having the money you described me from a few years ago when I was shooting 80 I, weddings a year I, I'm describing my, I've been there yeah. as well the second year I shot 69 weddings yeah. and uh, just you went know, around yeah it was horrible and, and I refuse to do that now I spoke to um, there's a particular venue I used to work at quite a lot um, recommended uh, by them but um, now no longer um, do I I'm still recommended but I don't get many bookings and the reason for that and I found this out was there there's another couple there that work at this venue husband and wife team they work together and they, they they're so far under what I'm charging I'm mm. just bound not to get any of the mm. recommended stuff there it's going to be them now uh, the interesting part of that conversation was when uh, when she said, well, we're doing X amount of weddings a year, a lot of weddings a year, mm. more weddings than I was doing on my own a few years, wow. much more. Wow. And I said, well, I'm not sure I'd want to go back to those days. She said, yeah, but the thing is, um, they have kids. She said, we're both in it together, so it doesn't matter as much because we're both miserable away from our children. <laughs> she didn't say as much as that. Yeah. But but it was it Valid was point. there was an inference yeah. and I thought you've got you've got your work life balance wrong if you're both thinking we should be at home a bit more. Yeah. Yeah. But you have absolutely. to accept if you're shooting weddings you're going to be away at weekends. That's the way it works. People don't well people do get married Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. But, but not as much. No, absolutely. And also if you think um you know I I would say the average amount of weddings that an average wedding photographer shoots in a year, if they charge reasonable rates um, to make a living, is 25 to 30 weddings. Mm. Now, that's only 25 is half of 50, mm -hmm. which is not every weekend. No. Certainly not every weekend. It's, no. you know, it's technically once every other weekend. But as you say, you get weddings during the week, you get double headers and various mm. things like that. Um, I've got. A, You've got to be charging good money if you're going to be you doing have to be charging 25 good money. weddings. So if you want to have a proper business, yeah. If you wanna, if you wanna shoot 60, 70, 80 weddings, 120 weddings, whatever, you know, and and you get, and you and you charge too little. Uh, don't get me wrong. I, you know, there are people out there who shoot 120 weddings and charge good money as well. And and you know, and they're they're the not ones, many these days. Not many, but they you know yeah. they 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 do no. exist. But you, I would say that the ones that are shooting all these really elevated numbers of weddings, especially if they they don't appear to be on the VAT radar, are mm, um, yeah. are not charging a huge amount of money. Yeah, or not telling the truth. Or not telling the truth. Yeah, and exactly. you know, and, and and that then, like I said, it's it's the guy. It's it's. It's the guys. The guys. Yeah. The guys chase, chase the money, and they forget about the family. And and also, here I go again. Don't forget the social and social media. There's an element <laughs> of ego in it. There's mm. how much uh, Jamie calls it willy waving. You know, people on Facebook. <laughs> I think she called it that. In the uh, I can't well. believe I've already yeah. got 65 weddings booked for next year. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm like really, and and also. Why? Who cares? For a start, yeah. and probably you actually mean thirty-five rather than sixty-five. 
and that three is right next to the yeah and also if you're on 65 weddings next year <laughs> yeah yet you're not that registered no mm, something a bit odd going yeah, on there yeah. and you know and you know take your <laughs> your hand and stick it back in your in your pants <laughs> there we go there's solid business advice yeah. from from president mullins <laughs> as we discussed the yeah. the battle bus is being built uh, the new political <laughs> party is being formed right it's time to get another silliness Time to get to this week's interview. Um, this week, an established photographer and filmmaker, 30 years of experience to his name with a portfolio of work that's blessed the pages of Vanity Fair, GQ, Vogue and the Sunday Times. I always think when you go to a website, in this case, chrisfloyd.com, and find representation on the contact page, that there must be something going terribly right with your career. Chris Floyd is this week's guest. And he's someone who's been on my radar creatively. He's in my bookmarked filmmakers folder and has been there for quite a while. Though it's his photography that a Fujicast listener, Jeremy Baker, reminded me of only recently. So here's my chat with Chris. You arrive in London during the poll tax riots and the next thing you're, you're moving between the most glamorous, as far as I see it, the most glamorous European cities photographing the kind of people who frequent the pages of Vogue and Sunday supplements. But it, it can't have been that easy, surely. T- t- take me through those formative those formative years. I did actually move. I left home and moved to London on the day of the poll tax riots. And um, it was March 1990. I had a job, in a assisting job, in a studio in the King's Road a rental studio and I worked there for about two months and they used to let the assistants use the studio for their own shoots at weekends and evenings and stuff when it was empty and I used I used a studio in the building to do my own shoot one Sunday and we finished really late about midnight and kind of half tidied up and then I just thought I'll I'll just come in really early tomorrow and finish it before anyone else comes in. So I came in at like about six o'clock the next morning and I've no idea why, but one of the owners had decided to come in even earlier than me and um, saw the absolute mess the place was in and basically I got sacked on the spot. Um, that was a quite a quite a trouble trying time because then you know I was I'd left home only a couple of months earlier I was trying to stand on my own two feet I was you know yeah you know and it wasn't it wasn't like getting paid a fortune I was getting like 80 quid a week or something like that in 1990 and um so I was then you know really had to swim very hard to, to try and keep myself to not have to go home with my tail between my legs, back to my, back to Surrey. But but they're they're those pivotal moments. I remember uh, John Swanell uh, mentioning that he got a, a break, an opportunity to assist for Bailey, and the first thing he did was was drop his camera on the floor and smash it into pieces. Um, but but it's moments like that 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 make you. Uh, they are, and it's uh, it's kind of um, serendipitous that you mentioned John Swanell because. The first person that I got some freelance assisting work off was John Swanell. Um, he won't remember me because I—I I mean, I, it was his like second or his first assistant hired me or called me. Uh, I think I had sent a CV in or something like that. He called me and I came and assisted on something. I can't remember what it was. Um, and then I went back and assisted maybe ten or twelve times over over like a six-month period. Uh, it was him that uh, gave me my first freelance assisting opportunity. And from there, I then started to get more 
assisting work with some quite good people actually um and i you know i, I just learned bit by bit the, the things i learned actually from assisting i'll tell you what i didn't really learn so much about i didn't learn positive things actually about photography from being an assistant but i learned what i think of as quite negative things i saw i was working for people who were you know i was 21 and i was assisting people who were maybe in their mid 40s to late 50s and what I saw, I, there were great people, and then that, there were also people I assisted, and I'm, I don't want to mention any names, but there were people I assisted who were just jaded and cynical and tired and bored of it and unwilling to put themselves out on a limb and try new things. And I realised that at that young age, I realised how dangerous that was for your for your your sanity and as well as your career and your attitude towards how to go about work you you have to i learned that you have to maintain a little semblance of naivety in your work you know the a spirit of adventure and and to not be afraid to try new things on a shoot even if it's like a big commercial shoot do the thing that you know will work and then set aside half an hour and just try something for the sake of trying it now look at your your work is it who's who of portraits and i see attenborough and mccartney and bowie and oasis and dare i mention him in the same sentence even piers morgan but it occurs to me that um you know another day at the office for chris floyd is a newcomer's idea of made it tick off list nothing else to achieve here i mean we we talked about grounding on the show before what keeps you grounded oh lots of things um those those names that you mention are it's it's like a shallow endorphin hit when someone calls you to to commission you to to do someone like Paul McCartney, you get, yeah, you get really excited. Oh my God, I'm so excited about doing Paul McCartney. I'm a massive Beatles fan. But then uh, once it's been and gone, you still have to worry about you know paying the mortgage, paying your bills, getting more work. Um, you know all of that stuff it's a it's it's no different from any other form of self-employed life at the end of the day we are we are people like us are self-employed freelance contractors what's the secret to to longevity in in what can be a you know a very tight and very competitive space you know i started doing photography when i was about 14 and it was a it was a hobby for the first i don't know 6 7 years it was my, it was just a hobby i did after school and at weekends and stuff and you have to remember that for that, that period of time, the only reason you did it was because you just wanted to do it. You weren't doing it for money and you weren't doing it for glory or fame or anything like that. You were just doing it because you liked the smell of the chemicals in the darkroom and you liked the way a print appeared when you started knocking a piece of paper around in a tray of developer. And you liked all those things and you have to remember that's why you, the thing that you loved about it in the first place. And then you have to apply that to the way you go about your work on a on a daily, weekly, monthly basis at the age we're at now, which is to be enthusiastic. And also, uh, you want people, because I photograph people, I want people to leave m- my company at the end of the day and think that was a really great day. Um, that That's in the positive column of my of my time on Earth. I'd really like to spend time with him again. It's very much like being an entertainer, doing doing what we do or what that my type of work in that when I'm photographing someone uh, I very much feel like I'm on a stage and my job is to 
is to uh, is to bring the subject, which in in this case I think of as almost like the audience, is to keep the audience engaged and kind of upright in their seat and excited and 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 thrilled to be at the show and and not wanting the show to end and particularly actually this applies much more in a way to people who are used to having their photo taken a lot so famous people or people who are politicians or actors or musicians or you know any anyone who's used to it and for them it is not an exciting thrilling uh, participatory sport for them it's often a chore and slightly awkward and tedious. Um, so what I try to bring to, to it is a sense of occasion and a sense of fun, I suppose. I want them to be intrigued by me as much as I'm intrigued by them. So you're, you're, you're an extrovert then. So, so many photographers describe themselves as introverts. If you're, if you're the ringmaster, you're the extrovert. No, but that, this is the thing. You see, I'm, in real life, I'm an awful introvert. I'm a dreadful introvert. And it's only, it's only when I go to work, when I put my photographer hat on, that I have to kind of put on this cloak, a coat of extrovert, extrovertism. Uh, and it's, a, it's not a struggle, but it's, it's, you know, it's an effort to become that person, to become this alter ego. And that's incredible when you look at the, the, the list of the people you do meet and, and those that you will have to communicate with and get on with very quickly. Yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's like a sort of you have a relationship on steroids with people. It's a, it's a fundamentally, because you're in gen, you're try, the image that you, you make or the pictures that you produce, you're, you're, you're trying to engender intimacy from a situation that is that's fundamentally artificial. You know, the, everything about a photo shoot is fake. The lights are fake, you know, the, the scenario is fake. And yet what goes on within the four walls of that frame is anything but fake. If you know how to do it right, you can make it feel as natural as the weather. Now, it's not exactly a new departure, but I wanted to focus a little on the filming side of what you do. Do you, do you, do you think flicking that button to film mode is an aspect that can haunt your business if you fail to engage with it? I mean, you've engaged with it and you've been extraordinarily successful by doing it. Um, I don't, well, I've, I've kept to a very small, you know, I'm not making uh, Alien 5. <laughs> no. I mean, there's a simplicity to, to it. I mean, things like, can, can a robot do your makeup for Starlist? And the one that I, I originally, I remember watching it, um, oh, a good few years back now, the, the ones that you did for Porter. Well, they were the first things I did, really. That, that was... Um, they, were, they were great. I pitched those, the idea of those to, to Mr. Porter and... Um, Jeremy Langmead, who was the, the boss of Mr. Porter, just kind of, we had a meeting for about five minutes, told him what the idea was. I had actually made a test film with a friend of mine called Patrick Grant, who's a tailor on Savile Row. So I did one of him getting dressed, and then I showed that to Jeremy Langmead at Mr. Porter. So I had a, I had a sample, and he watched it. I mean, the time it took him to watch it, which was about two and a half minutes, and he went, great, let's go and make, uh, let's make six. I couldn't believe it. I, I was like, oh, okay. He goes, yeah, yeah, and then I'll put you in touch with my deputy, and we'll go from there. And then we did, and we did, uh, we did, we ended up doing, we did six, and then we did six more, and then I, we did about 30. But from being a photographer with pretty much 100% input to, to making films where storyboarding and collaborative remits start to play out, how much do you... I mean, it sounds with the Porter one, you were Mr Porter, you obviously did get to steer the ship creatively. Is, is it often like that when you're making film work? No, it's not. It's, um, it's much more convoluted in terms of time spent uh, before in pre-production. It's time you spend discussing it, 
months often um, because on the day the day of the shoot you've got to make sure you've got, that everything is buttoned down and as it should be and how you want it to be you know so I I mean I did a job for a Swiss bank last year and it was shooting um, it was two two different 30 second spots uh, one was with a family of five so mum and dad and three kids and then there was another one with a mum and dad and one young toddler and um you know you you end up you end up spending sort of two hours discussing what kind of bowl the toddler will be eating his mashed right. banana out of you know so and everyone's got an opinion on it so often you spend a lot of time discussing props and things like that so it's 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 much because it because the camera moves and it goes all over the place you've got to think of it as it's a multi-layered thing whereas um still stills imagery is is two-dimensional and 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 moving images three-dimensional you know you've got you've got to factor in time there's an irony here because you made the campaign for phillips so the concept was um or the tag was uh, what was it simplicity is is an espresso machine that makes a coffee expert out of anybody and and I just thought, actually, taking that analogy and applying it to photography and filmmaking, does the the, the democratization of photography, the you know, the proliferation of boxes, Chris, that you can use to make an image, the amazing standard of many of the new photographers that you've you, you've already alluded to, does that keep you awake at night? Do you think about rugs being pulled? Because, um, but, uh, I mean, to you to use um, Tom Stoddart as an example of a, an interview we did earlier on. Um, saying he felt frustrated that sometimes the younger guys and girls get gifted the grants for their their supposed new ideas because it's perceived that the the mature guys don't have anything new. Do, do, does that keep you awake at night? Um, it doesn't keep me awake, but it does. It's just the nature of life on Earth. It's you know there are always younger creatures coming up behind the older creatures. I th- I listened to the Tom your Tom Stoddart one actually, I, and that really did really resonate what he said about the, about the young and the old. It's youth versus experience, isn't it? And then that ties back in again to the thing I said when we started talking earlier about maintaining that sense of naivety and exploration in your work. Because there's no reason why you can't be older and still have a young attitude and mindset in the way you go about your work. I mean, one of the things I've really noticed a lot, I mean, when I looked at the Taylor Wessing winners this year, you know, one of the things that really occurred to me is, is, is how prevalent the the the, film, the use of film is now and people like us who grew up in the film era and then had to deal with learning digital quite quickly um and then obviously we've kind of absorbed it learned it now we're comfortable with it you know and i do still have all my film cameras and the, and the one film camera i probably use more than any is my large format five four by five why that particular one? Oh, i just like pottering around with it you know i like the i like the process it's it's the one thing you can't get from from using di- the digital system is five four or ten eight but um i do think that uh there is a fetishization of film that is that alludes to um what i think of as as pe- the pe- oh, that people are people are using it as a as a metaphor for having a soul and they're saying, uh, you know, so people who are re- have re- young people who really embrace film, it's because young people have grown up in, they're entirely digital natives now, the young, they've, they've just grown up with digital their whole lives. Um, so it's ubiquitous for them. So the idea of latching onto film or playing vinyl records 
is another one. It's a way of saying, well, you know, I'm thinking about it a little bit deeper than you are. Yeah. But if you're like us and you grew up in the era of film, then there's nothing that kind of magical about it. To me, it's a bit like the, it's a bit like the Wizard of Oz. It's like, oh, come on, it's just a bloke around the back on a bike. So the, the thing I was going to say about Taylor Wessing was that there's, there's a kind of embracing of almost what I think of, uh, I don't know, can I say, I'm going to swear now, but there's, um, there's an embracing of, the, of an almost a slightly shit looking aesthetic mm. where everything's a bit shonky and slightly off and, the, you know, the, the, it's physically slightly wonky and it's it's very kind of basic and it's just like people shooting daylight and on and on camera flash but it's i'm not seeing a lot of work shot on film that is in, that's particularly complex technically you know where where it's very it's been lit in a, an amazingly clever way um because to try and do use very complex lighting setups now without the crutch of a digital a digital setup I'd be reluctant to do that. So, so the fil- the shot on film for the hash, the film's not dead hashtag thing and all that. All the pictures, it's just daylight. It's just people taking pictures in daylight mo- mainly, and that's not hard. So, I'll be really impressed when I can see people who are obsessing about film shooting really complex things on film. It seems appropriate um, that I, I should mention it because whenever I approach photographers for an interview. I feel a little duty-bound to say that I'm approaching them not for the kit, but for them. And I did with you, Chris. And, and then you, you fired back an email saying, but I do shoot Fuji. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're also a Fuji film shooter. X-T2 and X-100T, I, I remember you said. Yeah, because it was the tone of your email was almost like, yeah, but you don't, it's just, it's not all about <laughs> Fuji and everything. I was like, no. And I just wanted to say, because I bought a Fuji, I bought a X-100T X completely on a whim. Um, I can't remember where I was. I bought it, just literally bought it. It was a complete impulse buy. Bought it, started using it. Really, really loved it. I thought it was fantastic. And, I, and I, the first the first couple of weeks I had it, I, I found it quite tricky in that, you know, I was because of the I was using the screen on the back um, and I wasn't used to that. But once I kind of got the hang of composing and taking pictures by using using this with this treating the screen as an ad- advantageous thing then i realized i was taking pictures in a completely different way to how i take my pictures with my other cameras with with a canon 5d or my 10 54 plate camera it's just another way it's it's like you're seeing the world in a different through a different set of eyes almost so is the 5d3 your your usual your usual professional weapon of choice it is but i use them both actually i use the the xt2 and the 5d the xt2 i love using because i've got a 56 mil lens on it and i absolutely love using it at f1.2 because my canon lens is the widest canon lens i've got is i think an f2 but i love using the fuji in the studio with studio lighting but tons and tons of neutral density gels on the lights and then um and then shoot at 1.2 so you do use it professionally oh yeah definitely yeah yeah my thanks this week to chris floyd for his time on the fuji cast i'll let you into a, a production secret and something important when recording interviews that i got seriously very wrong when i recorded that chat with chris It's a little like when you're filming. Always leave the recording to roll longer. Don't press pause. Don't press stop. Because invariably you're going to hit on a subject during the pleasantries of goodbyes that really should have made it to air. In this case, I was talking with Chris about success and he shared some theories about the patterns of highs and lows as a photographer in terms of monetary workflow. And I think 
it's too easy. And we kind of touched on this before we went to this interview. In a, in a world where everybody looks like they're leading the perfect, awesome life to forget that even the top pros find their wave crest break a little earlier on some rides into shore from time to time. It's a subject I'd like to come back to, perhaps with Chris, another time. But equally, if you're listening and you want to share some of your own experiences of of that phenomena, we'd love to hear from you. I think we'll call that episode, when it happens, something like, uh, we're all human after all, or not everything is awesome, one of the two. And thank you very much, by the way, to some people who have suggested guests of late. I've started following up on guests, and it's worth you sending them in. Please don't send in things like, um, I think you should get Don McCullen on the show, because clearly, you, boy, would I like to get Don McCullen on the show. But try and send me some ones that uh, <laughs> might at least say yes. Maybe I should aim high. That's a terrible thing to say, isn't it? I was it? thinking, yeah, we could get Don McCullen on here. It'd be fine. Really? Yeah, easily. Yeah. I'm sure. Just Let's just ring him now. Okay. Got his mobile number? No. <laughs> <laughs> right. Back to questions. It would be ace, though, wouldn't it? It would be amazing. Hi, guys. I presume you saw the recent article on F-Stoppers or read the original Facebook post um, about the wedding photographer that posted a picture of uh, a guest with a mobile phone. I'll call it up in a second so we can refer to it while you're talking. Yeah, it's it's wedding photographer goes viral and epic ranked. uh, Rank? Rank? Rant. 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 (laughs) Against guests who ruin shop on phone. Yeah, yeah. I thought I'd rescue you. You just fill it in, yeah, yeah, yeah. You just fill in all the complicated words you just do now. <laughs> what's what's your view on the on the photographer's comments and yeah. and have you ever uh, anything similar happened to you? So, so some Steve in New Zealand. Steve in New Steve, Zealand. Steve Ford. Right. Shall I shall I click on this and then we can Yeah. Right. Okay. So Wedding Photographer goes viral with epic rant against guests who ruined shot with phone. Okay. Okay, it's on F stoppers. It's on F stoppers, and it's it's been on face. I've seen this; it's come up a million times. But actually, this is ne- this is not the first time this kind of thing has happened. Mm. Uh, it's this whole idea of viral um, is you know once it kind of comes around every two years or so when it falls out of memory from uh, the existing people, then it happens again. So mm. this is this is nothing new. And in fairness, it's quite an extreme. Example. So you have the bride and groom um, just about walking out from the, the ceremony location by the looks of it. And then you have this arm, two arms, right in the middle of the frame with yeah. uh, a mobile phone with perfectly exposed picture yeah. on the mobile phone. And um, I, I I don't know what the, the comments that Steve mentioned, you know, what do you think about the comments below? So we, we, we might need to dig into the comments underneath this article. Yeah. But first of all, when I saw this come up and I had it shared on my timeline loads of times, I was a little bit like, oh, yawn, how many times? Um, and, you know, the fact is we live in a world where mobile phones. It's yeah. My take on this is it's the bride and groom's responsibility to decide if they want the guests to have mobile phones. If they do, they do. If they don't, they don't. I'll just carry on doing my job accordingly. Yeah. If a picture has got, um, you know, a mobile phone, somebody using a mobile phone in it, what, you know, in 30 years' time, we won't be using those technology and it will become a nostalgia point. Um, so, yeah, I don't... 
I don't, you know, I don't really have, I don't care about it. But that, you know, I mean, just very briefly glancing at these these comments, Mark Mark, I'm sure that's his real name, um, says this is a problem affecting only the amateur wedding weekend warriors. The professional ones do know how to do it. A wedding is formed for the album in two separate parts: a posed and close to the public section, and a documentary of the day. They are separated, and since forever, the documentary part must include the guests with cell phones. Now, if the amateurs want to perform at a wedding without the post part, <laughs> basically because they don't know how to do it or don't have the necessary equipment, then the guests with cell phones is what they get. <laughs> wow. Okay. Ah. So. Ah. Uh, yeah. So Mark. Mark. Basically, when and that comment is on the F Stoppers article itself. Yeah. Is essentially saying that, uh, you know, the American way is the only way. <laughs> Yeah. Well, the the the, the rant um, was. Uh, I'm gonna. I'll read a few words from it. Not only did you ruin my shop, but you took this moment away for the groom, father of the bride, and the bride. What exactly do you plan on doing with that photo? Honestly, are you going to print it out, save it, look at it every day? No, you're not. But my bride would have printed this photo, looked at it often, and reminisced over this moment as her dad walked her down the aisle on her wedding day. But instead, you wanted to take a photo with your phone, blocking my... It's all very I, I, I. And you move, know, move to the left, you know move what? forward. Exactly. That's what I was thinking. This is Don't get angry. This is being, it's a part of the day. This is being taken by the looks of it on a 70 to 200 mil lens, yeah. something like that. Uh, step to the left. Absolutely. Go down on your knees, shoot under it, whatever. Do your th- there is there is no no need for it almost looks to me like she's taken more time and uh, to execute the picture of the woman with the phone than she has on the on the actual picture of the back well, she has because on the second frame here this is a this is a a well-focused i'm going to make a point of this picture yeah. of somebody on their phone yeah which actually i yeah. would i would also do something like that but i would include it as part of the the day not as a not as a complaint i mean don't get me wrong i i get her point i do get her point but also it's it's the life we live. It's the world we live in. I thought you were just about and to say it's the lifeblood of a wedding for a moment. No, I think you were dangerously it's close. It's the world we live in, and 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 that's that's the way it is. And if you you know if 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 you want to go down the route of, of telling your brides and grooms that you sh- they should tell no clients to, to get, uh, no guests can have phones, then that's fine as well. Do that, but don't expect it not to happen. But things are going to happen on a wedding day. And and in any form of any photography, and you just have to. You can't just get angry about it. That, uh, that wedding guest wouldn't have done that on purpose. No, they, they, she they wouldn't have thought it. about it. How can I screw up this shot? For, yeah, for whoever. No. I mean, this this thing doesn't. I'm going to pass your phone in. I must remember to put this. If I haven't put this on by the time you hear this, just just message me in the Facebook in the Fuji uh, Fujicast Facebook group and tell me to put this up. But um, it will be on my Instagram. It's on my Instagram already. Um, th- this is a picture that was ruined for me, not by a guest, but by a videographer who decided during the first kiss to walk across frame. Have I ever showed you that? Oh, yeah, I have seen that picture. Yeah, absolutely. That, that one really annoyed me. No, yes. Now, that's not like a guest. That's a professional walking across a scene at the moment uh, the, guy, the guys are being told to, to have their first kiss by the vicar. And wh- why, <laughs> why, why do they walk across the front? I know. So, uh, to get to, to whether get it's to that his, time or not. It's to get to his other camera. One of his cameras was locked off, so he didn't care. Go around the back. That's but there was no back to go around. Well, then he shouldn't have gone. He should have sorted his cameras no. out so they, they were working. 
That's that is uh, that would annoy. So that's on my Instagram, by the way, and I've written about it. Yeah. But um, equally, um, if you want me to put that on the Facebook group, um, then uh, then just just remind me, or I'll try and remember it, and and uh, I'll pop that up so Uh, you can uh, see exactly uh, what I'm uh, talking about. No, that that is that is something to have a rant about. I should send that to F stoppers. Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. (laughs) Actually, they will probably get on. Should I send it to F stoppers? You should do. Yeah, but then that poor videographer is going to have his. Is hide. Well, I'm not, I'm not saying what his name name is. Am no, I doing somebody, something wrong by some, doing that? No, but somebody would recognise him, wouldn't they? Would I would they? Imagine. Should I blur him out? No, I no, blur absolutely him out. not. Why would you? Why should yeah. you? He did something. I did a wedding once where the um, <laughs> videographer was out the back uh, when the when the um, I was going to say waitresses then, but the bridesmaids started walking down the aisle. Yeah. And uh, he was still behind them. He'd not got himself to the front. He hadn't turned his cameras on or anything. So he, he just pushed past them no. down the middle of the aisle. <laughs> and he had a big Star Wars T-shirt on, <laughs> a pair of baggy jeans. And this was a big church. He had a where, Star Wars shirt yeah, on Star Wars at a t-shirt, wedding. pair of baggy jeans. And this was a big church where he could easily have gone around the side aisles. Oh. And he literally, I, I, the pictures I have of the, bri- of the bridesmaids coming down the aisle is yeah. basically of this man shoving them out of the way because he panicked because he hadn't got to the front in time to turn his cameras on. Um, oh. <laughs> now, that, that did annoy me also, although I did think it was a bit funny. <laughs> They're talking of inappropriate T-shirts. Years and years, this is way off track here. Uh, and involves a funeral. Um, years and years ago, um, a, a friend of mine who lived out in, um, who, who passed away, lived out in, uh, in, in on Lanzarote. They have a, a system there called the hole in the wall when you when you bury people. I don't know if you've seen this in, in parts of Spain. You don't go underground, mm-hmm. not necessarily cremated, mm-hmm. but you're put into um, a big wall. A crypt. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. So they're, yeah. they're using the hole in the wall. It's quite, quite, I think it's quite a nice idea. I think you know, you're still above ground. And, um So what they do, you, you go into your tomb uh, with your coffin and then they will put a slab of concrete uh, yeah. over it and they'll obviously seal it up and yeah. do what they need to do and the slab of concrete will have your name and so on and so forth on it. But... Um, the particular guy that was was being was being buried was was definitely the life soul and and, and the um, the um, the lifeblood of every single party. Um, his name was Sam. He was a costume uh, designer on some really big films, big movies, things like Killing Field, stuff like that. Oh yeah, he was big, big time. And he uh, Lanzarote loved him. He loved Lanzarote. He lived on this. Side. It's, it's where I happened to work in uh, uh, when I first worked in radio for a while. And um, anyway, he passed on. He was a terrible, um, I mean, in, in a good way, joker. Um, he would take the rise out of everybody, everything, everybody, everything was fair game to him. Everything in life, even the even the sad stuff, he would laugh at. He would fall about. He was just one of the most genuine um, guys. Just didn't take stuff seriously. Lovely mm. guy. They buried him in the hole in the wall. And the uh, the young guys who were doing it, um, that were wearing T-shirts. There was a whole congregation there, mourners watching on, and they pushed the coffin in, and these two guys climbed up to to do the final bit of sealing work. Mm-hmm. They'd done that, and everybody was listening to people saying how, how great Sam was. And um, the the young chap turned to um, the audience, uh, the audience, the congregation, <laughs> the audience, might as well have been for Sam, the congregation, and on the front of his T-shirt it said, Happy Christmas. <laughs> It's fantastic, <laughs> Sam. He would have loved that moment, I'm sure. Anyway, we've uh, we've gone well off track there. Did you ask that last question or me? I did. Right. Yeah. John Baisley. Firstly, thank you for such an informative, insightful, and easily listened to podcast, which even includes questions and or, or sort of rem- reminiscence 
uh, of funerals now. Mm. You both are simply a joy to listen to. My question uh, is, has there been a time in your photography where you became so overwhelmed and where you wanted to, uh, uh, with where you wanted to be as a photographer, such as a landscape photographer, also a wedding photographer, portrait photographer, street photographer, that you ended up being everything to everyone by using the shotgun approach and feeling despondent as a result? What then caused you to say, enough to everything? and then just concentrate on one genre that you enjoy and excel at. Now, this is an intriguing question because we discussed before um, Spain in particular that I'm thinking that my business will probably be 50-50 at some stage in the next couple of years. It'll be 50% making podcasts, talking to um, people about making their own podcasts, um, all that kind of, you know, mm. building a podcast for somebody, setting mm. them up. It'll be as much about sound as it is about weddings. Mm. So two totally. So I, I you know, I, my 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 enough is is gentle there. Although I haven't done, I haven't thrown loads of mud at the wall on in that respect. I haven't tried to be a portrait photographer. Or, uh, I think it's very easy to. Um, once you you know you get established in one genre, yeah, and, and it's you very, stick with it. Yeah, but it's also very easy to think you can do other genres as well. Oh, I see what you mean. And perhaps you can't. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, uh, let's just say you're a portrait photographer, and you think, I know, I've got a dog. I'm going to take a few pictures of my dog, and then mm. I'm going to stick them on my website, and then I'm going to offer my services as a dog dog, dog, dog photographer yeah. too. Mm, and you know, maybe it works, but maybe you're not a very good dog photographer, mm. and maybe. You know, maybe that needs to come into consideration. I don't know. I mean, yeah, I guess we've all we've all been we've all done stuff that's not necessarily our normal bread and butter work. I, I suppose. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you. What is not normal bread and butter work then? Well, weddings is my bread and butter. So, so if you did a commercial job, yeah, would you feel that that was well off kilter for you? Or? Probably, yeah. It depends a little bit but on the style. Done, of you've it. done commercial. Uh, I've stuff done a lot of commercial stuff, and and actually, some of the commercial stuff I do is, uh, well, a, a majority of the commercial stuff I do, mm. which isn't a lot, is actually candid. So, what they want is, I did, um, I did something for a um, an alum. Is another word you need to help me out with here. I have no idea where you're going. Aluminium. Aluminium. No. Was the um? What? What is the word you're trying to say? (laughs) It's like catchphrase. Alumni. Alumni. Uh, People that used to go to the university. Yeah, alumni. I did some um, pictures for an an American an American magazine for a famous university. They would never have asked you had they not uh, they known that you couldn't say the word. Yeah, but what they wanted was me to go to this um, pretty pretty well known, in fact, very well known um, financier in the city and do some um, corporate esque shots of him. But they didn't. They, he didn't want to be disturbed and yeah. they didn't they wanted pictures of him in real life so I just went for 20 minutes and snapped away at him basically at the keyboard yeah. and he carried on doing his very important work and <laughs> didn't even know I was there I don't think um, he probably and, did he just chose not to and they, observe you they um uh, you know they loved it and and so that kind of stuff comes along but yeah, but you're right you know the the some of the more kind of staged or well not staged but more traditional commercial work I suppose yeah. is is yeah it's different mm. but it's not my mainstay it's not I, I don't know you know you can 
you can all try everything, and if you if you like it and you're good at it, then carry on doing it. I think it. sometimes you find out that, that what you thought you were good at, and you know, you you surprised yourself with something you didn't think you were going to do, and suddenly you yeah, do. I mean, I, exactly. I never thought I was going to photograph weddings. In fact, the first thing I said to the the guy that asked me to photograph his his brother's wedding, that first thing I famously said to him in my own mind, famously in my own five minute mind was uh, I, I can't think of anything I'd rather do less than be at somebody else's bloody wedding every mm. Saturday. Mm. Those words were the words I, I actually used. And there we go, 800 later. You never know, do you? You never know. You never know. Um, right. 800 weddings. 800, I know. 800. <laughs> I'm just, just kind of processing that. If we work that. out how many in speeches, how long is the average speech? Six. Set of speeches. Um, would, know, would you 30, say 35 minutes? The average? 45 minutes? Yeah, I'd say closer to 45. Uh, it's 36,000 minutes of speeches. Divide that by 60. Divide that by 60. I have spent 600 hours of my life have been spent listening to... I reckon it's more than that. It probably feels like more than that, does it? Yeah. Well, I've heard a lot of jokes, three, four. Well, I've heard some jokes almost, it seems, 600 times. <laughs> uh, you know, I really want to write a piece about what not to do with wedding speeches. <laughs> uh, the first thing I would write, I would, I would, uh, here's another thing for your presidency, okay? President Mullins <laughs> and Chief of, Staff, uh, Chief of Staff James. We are going to ban, at weddings, uh, we, are, we are going to formally make it illegal for best men to do audiovisual displays. It's just not going to happen. Under your presidency, it's just not going to be allowed to, to occur anymore. It's banned. banned. I've seen some good ones, I must say. But, but yeah, Most of them go when wrong. You, when you, when you see selfie. the LCD, yeah. when you go in there and the projector's up. You think, right, you think, OK, what are we on for here? Mm, yeah. Some have and been... And then there's six best yeah. men. Yeah. <laughs> some have been brilliant. I'll grant you that. But as a groom-to-be, if you're listening here, please make sure you, you – if it's going to be AV, make sure you've got a best man that can pull that thing together. Do you know what? I did a wedding oh, just a, f- a few weeks before I went to Spain, um, and it was in Cardiff. And it was a lovely wedding, really lovely, lovely, lovely people. And it was a smallish wedding in terms of um, you know numbers and, and all that kind of stuff. And the, the bride's father had passed away, I, I think, about 18 months previously. Oh, that's sad. Yeah, and um, but they didn't do the the you know the the whole kind of you know we're really sad he's not here kind of yeah. thing. They they mentioned him, but yeah. but made sure it was still a, a you know a happy thing. But the the brother of the bride did the basically did that speech effectively. Yeah, as they do in that situation. And he did an amazing thing, and I I, I was I was like in, welling up myself. So what, what he did was he got his dad's um, computer, his old laptop. Yeah. And his dad was a photographer or liked taking pictures. And he uh, he went through the – and he, sh- he was doing it live on a, on a projector. So he was going through – Like a critique. <laughs> uh, no, but he was going through, like, the file system. Okay. And it was like, I can't uh, – Hayley uh, – Hayley, let's just say Hayley. Um, and he was like, Hayley's first Holy Communion or whatever it was. And then they were going through all these pictures and everything, Christmas and, oh. and everything. And it was absolutely beautiful. I bet that brought the uh, house down. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, there was a lot of, but I think, uh, I think before the wedding, people had been, you know, people had said to each other, you know, this will be a fun thing rather than a, a yeah, sad thing. Yeah. Um, so the bride and groom didn't know this was going to happen, but I think everybody else knew it was going to happen. Yeah. And it was beautiful, absolutely beautiful. And there was video, there was oh, iPhone footage and I'll stuff tell you on what, there. That would have finished me. Yeah, it was. It was. How was she? 
she was yeah i mean you could tell she was emotional about it but also you could tell that she was she was desperately trying to yeah. see the 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 loving side of it rather than concentrate on the on the sad side of it yeah, yeah. uh and, and which she did and she did it very well it was it was really beautiful oh yeah I don't know what to say after that. Two more, two more. I'll say two more questions. Yours first, then I've got, I've got another one. Okay. First of all, I'm going to just drag Steve into our uh, question. New filing system. Yeah. There we yeah. go. See you, Steve. Okay. Um, um, right then. I'm going into this one totally blind. All right. This is from <laughs> moment to moment. I love the way that the paperless system has made you so much less prepared. <laughs> Do you want to come back to my way of working? <laughs> Hi, Neil. Hi, Neil. Again. Just finishing. I uh, just finished listening to all your episodes, and mm. now I'm. Uh, Who's I'm been binging? And now I'm now stuck to just one a oh. week. My daily commute to and from work has been really enjoyable with your banter as a company. Thanks to you both for the effort and you put into the Futurecast. Thank you. Oh, he's in Sydney, isn't he? So his commute is. Oh, I've done that commute last year. <gasps> Amazing. Well, he might not be going to exactly the same place as you go. You went. Well, no, day. not no, not necessarily. But I'm just thinking. I can imagine him. He's, he's on that bus going over the bridge. Just ah, oh, oh, you're so lucky. Okay. Um, right, and, and actually, um, he goes on to say. Anyway, to my question. Sorry, Andrew. <laughs> I've shot. I've shot about 25 weddings in the last four or five years. Uh, never really attracted more than that. I wasn't putting in much time and energy to improve my marketing because I secretly disliked weddings. Yeah. The wedding photographer that dislikes weddings, imagine. <laughs> Posing it's pe- like the children's entertainer that yeah. hates kids. Yeah. <laughs> Posing people, <laughs> doing, doing large organised group shots, lugging heavy cannon gear and lighting around. You. Uh, I know that's what he said, by the way. You, not me. Ew. I now shoot Fuji X with minimal flash. Now, now that I've discovered that documentary wedding photography is an actual thing, it's re- reignited my passion and i imagine this can happen multiple times over one's career as a wedding photographer has there been a moment when either of you felt at a loss of love for wedding photography and perhaps saw it as just a source of income how did you overcome that and reignite your passion so this is from jeremy playsense uh from sydney australia and jeremy i'm going to send you my strap yeah um because i think that's a very very good question and you live in one of the best cities in the world yeah, and you and you obviously clearly get on the same bus that Neil used to get on every <laughs> he day. He might not. He might use the the other thing you can do when you commute in in, in Sydney. Of course, you can use the ferries, mm-hmm. and then you really are the luckiest man. Or drive, or walk, or bike. Ah, yeah. Well, okay, what so Jeremy, city. what a, amazing what, place. What, um, A very good question, and I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna throw it at you, Neil. Have you ever gone uh, to a wedding? Have you ever? And come back and thought I didn't like that, yes. but I got paid. Yes, I have. And I, I think if I sat here and I just lied, I'd be part of the awesome brigade and you'd think less of me for it. And I know that some brides and grooms listen to this podcast. I know that because um, I had a pre-wedding chat with one a couple of weeks ago and he mentioned a few things that he'd heard on Fujicast. I thought, oh, oh I better be a bit more careful. <laughs> but then at the same time, I thought, no, no, actually, I'll just keep doing what I'm doing. Well, we had Tim Tim, King, uh, Tim Kington, who uh, wrote in a few months ago, I photographed his wedding. Yeah, you did. Yeah. So so I, th- I think, you know, like anything in life, if there, there will be some people you meet that you don't click with as well as other people. Mm. Yeah? Yeah. And generally for me, those will be um, probably couples that have booked me who've just seen me as a tick off a list. Uh, 
Mm. haven't really had much to do with me before. There's been very, very little communication. I'm being careful here because I know you work in that way, but that's the way you look. I like to have chats with people yeah. before. Yeah. I'm not saying I need to become their best mate and go down the pub. No, I'm not saying that at all. But I, I'm, I'm saying that a little bit of communication and understanding that they, they both um, are invested in the style of photography that I want to uh, present is important. Now, some people will, will hire me off the bat and then they'll um, they'll say uh, they want all this documentary stuff. And then come the big day, they'll say, oh, by the way, we've got another list of shots for you. And that's not really being invested. And they're usually the sort of people that I, I haven't really chatted to mm. before. And then I'll meet couples like I did uh, oh, a couple of weeks ago. I met just a glorious, amazing, they're all amazing couple, but this, this well, not all, but uh, this, this, partic- this particular couple, there was a guy who was um, a former commando uh, and had served in some pretty risque areas in the world. He was the biggest blubber looking through my books that I think I've come across. I mean this seriously, ever. And I've photographed an England rugby player as well. And and he just, he sat there, he's blubbing. He said, I don't know, I'm going to get through this day. I already don't, I'm crying, it's not even my own bloody wedding. <laughs> I thought, you are just the person, I, I'm. you know, you're totally invested in, mm. in how I feel, not necessarily how I photograph a wedding you're the person I want to work with. Now, sometimes you return back from a gig where there haven't been that guy that I'm pointing mm. at now that's not there anymore, um, and you feel like a sense of, oh, and I think I'd be lying if I didn't say that. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I agree with you totally, and uh, I, I wonder if the question is more about a period of time. Have you ever kind of fallen out of wedding, out of love with wedding photographies for a prolonged period of time and thought... Uh, it pays the bills. When I shot 86 mm. and then 80 and then 84, I think the following year, yes, mm. very much. And I think Sam said to me, just, you know, I was I was resenting the fact. I remember saying to my mother-in-law, so I remember saying this, they were going off to Bournemouth to go down to the seaside. It was a Sunday and I was putting my camera bags in the back of my car and then grandma and granddad turn up to pick up the, the boys and Sam, they're all going off. And I said, you know what? It seems to me you spend more time with my, my children than I do these days. Mm. And I knew it. And Sam gave me that look of death. And I don't think the grandparents gave me a much nicer look. But it mm. was just all my frustration surfacing at one time. Mm. They're, they're, those moments, I think, were the moments where I thought, this is crazy. I can't, I can't be doing this anymore. Mm. Yeah, it's a tough one, isn't it? But you come out of it. Yeah. Because then, then you'll go and photograph something so important to you personally. Um, and I know that sounds weird how somebody else's wedding could be important to you and you would be engaged that emotionally. But you do. Mm. But you do. Because you meet people like the ex-commando and you think, do you know what, this is really important for them. And so therefore it's really important for me. Yeah. I'm not sure you're invested in my answer. No, I am. I, I, I see it as well. I agree. I mean, it, it kind of backs onto what we said earlier, doesn't it? About the if you if you shoot lots and lots, and yeah. you're not. I mean, you 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 did it ethically because you you know you were earning good money from those ninety weddings a year and paying your VAT and all that kind of oh, stuff. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a proper so, business. Yeah, exactly. And it is still yeah, yeah, a yeah, proper business. No, absolutely. And that's that's why I said when we had that conversation that you know there are people out there that that do it and get by and, and are happy to do it and do it and make a lot of money from it mm. um it, it's the ones that don't make the, the good money from that kind of effort they're mm. the ones that really would struggle um and you know for me it's less 
because typically I shoot, I mean, the most I ever shot was 69, but typically I shoot anywhere between 25 and 30 weddings a year. That's my comfort level. Yeah, I'm happy yeah, with that. Yeah. Could you do 40, 50 now? I don't think so. No. I, I, I Honestly, I mean, I physically but, but, but I could. But if it was good money and the bookings kept rolling in, would you just keep saying yes, 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 yes? Well, that's the question, isn't it? I don't... Well, I always plan my my holiday stuff a year in advance. Mm. So already for next summer, August is blocked out in my yeah, diary. Yeah. The um, um, the half terms are blocked out. So so they're non negotiables for me. Anything else goes. Anything else around the other days go. So mm. I yeah, well I probably would. You know, if they were if they weren't affecting those those times those uh, those holiday times. Mm. Um, I never want to be that person that's. You know, you know that's the family are on a holiday and you're not no and it happens you know it happens to a lot of people it happened to you you did yeah yeah you know yeah in fact bloody hell it happened to me once when I when I did that year of 69 weddings Gemma and the kids went off to Spain uh, straight after the schools broke up I came for the last two weeks of August so they had an extra four weeks so you didn't do the four weeks you did the two weeks no, no this was about seven years ago but that was the thing that made me yeah did you was that the time when you said no that was I, it I've got to have my life as well yeah no yeah. that was it I, while we were there in Spain I, I, I remember showing Gemma my diary and, and putting a big square around August did you and said <laughs> did you literally holiday. write it in boom, boom, boom. yeah and she was like oh god yeah. you're going to come for the whole month <laughs> <laughs> Right, last question. Uh, this is from Ben. Thank you, Ben. Hi, Neil and Kevin. Um, Mondays are now my favourite day of work. Oh, Ben Gillett. Sorry, it does seem sometimes ben, we. Ch- yeah, ben. I'm sorry. Ben Gillett's had a few All mentions right, of like literally. Sorry, this. I just picked this out on the on the content, and now I notice Ben's at the top. So I'm not doing the question. No, I will. Because <laughs> yeah. we should end on a. On so a, the answer was no. On a, <laughs> on a, a light-hearted note. Um, Mondays are now my favourite day of work now. Formerly it was Fridays when I used to listen to my other two favourite grumps, Kermode and Mayo, <laughs> reviewing films on Five. Now I bookend my working week listening to you guys. Question for the podcast. Which famous person would you most like to take a portrait of? One living or, or maybe one that's passed on, perhaps? Uh, and a bit of gossip. Just between the listeners, which famous people have bad reputations as a portrait sitter? Of course, you can have fun dancing around that. Um, I wouldn't be able to say, because I mean, he did mention that Steve Shipman. The only reason I wouldn't say is because I don't think I've had anybody really that bad. But Steve Shipman um, said Lenny Henry was a tricky character. Didn't like having his picture made, wasn't into it, made for a very uncomfortable session. Uh, meanwhile, Anthony Hopkins, absolute dream. He'd also heard about John Swannell's story, the very drunken John Hurt session. Mm. That was very funny. I, I When I was listening to that, I was visualising. It was like watching a film in my they, brain. They downed six bottles of wine and champagne in one day shoot. Yeah. <laughs> that is going some, isn't it? <laughs> oh, so there we are. I've thrown this one at you. That's a really, really good question. Any other week, that would have been a strap. Sorry, Ben. Who, <laughs> who would I like to... Do you know the answer? Do you know your answer to this already? I think I do. Yeah, you were first. Thing, See, I would thinking. have picked prime ministers of power. Um, I, I would love to have heard it. Doesn't matter whether you agree with her politics or not. I think Margaret Thatcher would have been fascinating to photograph. I really do. Mm-hmm. So, but that would be a bit too obvious. And I was thinking about musicians, and I thought, well, who do I really, really admire as musicians? Um, I suppose people like Elton John. But then that would be a bit of an obvious answer. So you can only have one. Pick I one. I can only have one. And you did say deceased. So uh, do you know who I would love to have photographed who is now deceased? I think Kevin could almost guess. Is so, it? Has only, only got three letters in the word. Sam. 
No. no not your mate Sam no, who's in the hole in the wall in no, Spain. No, not Sam. And, and the other Sam, my wife, is still very much alive. No, I know. I realised <laughs> when I said Sam then, I thought I, I thought you, no. you thought I thought that. And I well, didn't last think that. I looked up that path, she was saying, you're right. <laughs> I meant you're holding, you're okay. You're holding the wall, All Sam. All right, now you're fine. <laughs> Happy Christmas. Dad. Dad, of course. Yeah. Yes, no, I didn't put two You know, and I know that there. seems like uh, I should put mum on there as well. I really should. But dad because of the inspiration um, and what he gave me um, as a man, you know, in terms of you can do anything you want, son, just believe in yourself. I never took a portrait. And I thought, well, maybe I did. No, I don't think I did. No, because I was never a professional. I might have taken a picture of him. Yeah, but, but I'd never made a picture of him. Mm. And I think that would have been the essential difference. So after all that, Ben, I think for me, very easy. Dad. Yeah. So sadly Good deceased, answer. I can't do that one. But that would be the one. Mm. I'd like to take a picture of King Henry VIII. Oh, now that's a good one. And then I'd punch him in the face because he was a complete... <laughs> but I, know, I think but he'd why, be a great... Why? Yeah, that great. would be... What a power portrait. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, it'd be him. Yeah. Well, there we go. Thank you very much for all your questions this week. They are without doubt the lifeblood of the show <laughs> it says it on our beer mats it does. no they're not beer mats no they're not beer they're, mats they're coffee coasters coffee coasters yes. clearly you've been using yours in Spain <laughs> as a beer mat no wonder it's got all those little brown marks look at those down there that's not coffee stain <laughs> right um, thank you to our friends at Simpler Straps for letting us uh, give away a couple of straps as always if you'd like to obviously see um, the straps for yourself online and see how they uh, how they work very nicely with uh, these ear Fuji film cameras you can go to simpler.us, S-I-M-P-L-R dot U-S. Music from Blue Wednesday. Uh, payoffs. Um, we're just going to return to our normal payoffs this week, by the way, because we've got some new ones lined up. And thank you for those that you've been sending in as well. Uh, Rosa, for yours, first of all, just like old times for a second. My dad's Instagram is Kevin Mullins Photography. See his films on YouTube at Documentary Eye. His website is kevinmullinsphotography.co.uk or for street workshops, training and everything Fujifilm, go to f16.clip. Hang on, actually, I'm going to use one of my, my new ones. Do you mind? No. <laughs> okay, here we go. Neil's Instagram is Neil James. See his films on YouTube at Neil James Photo. His website is neiljames.com for pictures and one-to-one mentoring. I'm Tim Bender from Indiana. My Instagram is timothybme. T-I-M-O-T-H-Y-B-M-E and my website is timothybme.com That's it then for this week. We will see you. Oh, I, say, I keep saying see you. We got told off for that two months ago. We, You will hear us next week. Thank you. Grath? Uh, Grath, yes? Muchas gracias. Muchas gracias. With the T and H, isn't it? Because that's mm-hmm. the way you pronounce it. Mm-hmm. Well, when's Unless it, you're in Argentina. And then it's gracias. Mm-hmm. Oh, is it? Yeah. Oh, well, there we go. You learn something every single week.